You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and the environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. Today's guest is Jeffrey Flocken. Jeff is International Fund for Animal Welfare, IFAW, Regional Director, North America Work. His responsibilities include improving government involvement with wildlife conservation and animal welfare issues within the U.S. and internationally. Some of the important work Jeff has done include being a member of the team of experts responsible for convincing eBay to ban ivory sales. He's testified before the U.S. Congress regarding polar bear legislation and was a member of the team who wrote the technical petition to the U.S. Secretary of the Interior to list the African lion under the Endangered Species Act. Jeff has also co-authored the book Wildlife Heroes, 40 leading conservationists and the animals they are committed to saving. Jeff is going to discuss with us the work of the IFAW, the plight of the black rhinoceros, and the controversy that arose this fall when the Dallas Safari Club announced the auction of a permit to kill one of the world's last black rhinos. Before we meet Jeff, we need to take a break for a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection, exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus, free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest today is Jeffrey Flocken, North American Director for the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, Jeff. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. It's really great. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the IFAW and when it was founded? Absolutely. IFA uh, was founded in 1959 by Brian Davis, and it was founded to confront the cruel and commercial slaughter of harp and hooded seals in Canada. Um, it's been a vicious commercial activity that's been going on for decades, exploiting the seals there, and it, it's something that really motivated Brian to find an organization. Since then, we've really expanded our mission, and we work on wildlife throughout the world. And can you tell us a little bit about the vision and the mission of today's IFA? Absolutely. Our vision is a better world for animals and for people. 
we accomplish that by rescuing individual animals, saving populations, and preserving habitat. I like to think of this as we're the organization where the nexus between the long-term conservation of the species and respect for the individual animals need. You know, that's an interesting uh, concept because it's uh, both, I guess you'd say, macro and micro, isn't it? Absolutely. Not only will we be on the ground rescuing individual animals after natural or man-made disasters, but we're also working in the halls of Congress and different capitals around the world trying to change policy in the big picture as well. And how many countries do you operate in and have current projects going? So we have offices in over 16 countries around the world, and we work in over 40. In over 40. Wow. And what kind of projects are you currently undertaking? Well, there's um, things going on everywhere that we work. Probably the most high profile at the moment is we've been in the Philippines, where they had the horrific typhoon, working to save domestic animals and livestock that were impacted by the typhoon. Now, we do it right alongside the humanitarian efforts. We always make sure that the people are being served first by the different aid efforts that go in from around the world. Afterwards, when that's been settled and that the, the basic needs are being taken care of for the people, we'll work with the different agencies that are there and kind of get in and try to help the animals as well. And interestingly, many times these two things are intertwined. For example, in Katrina, we found that there were many people who didn't leave New Orleans because they were worried about their animals. And at the time, there were shelters that would take people but not the animals. So we can go in afterwards or even during and set up shelters, temporary shelters for pets. That way, the individuals, the victims of the hurricane, the human victims, can feel safe and secure and take care of their own needs and realize that somebody's helping their animals. Yeah, that's very important because in so many households, the pet is considered a part of the family and, and people are very, very reluctant just to abandon them. Absolutely. So we want to do whatever we can to make sure that everyone's taken care of. You know, you mentioned something when you when you're talking about the Philippines, about the livestock. And so many times that's not mentioned or I think even overlooked, but there's horrendous impact on livestock in uh, rural areas when disasters hit. Can you talk a little bit to that point? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. This is not so much a, a North American phenomenon anymore, but when you're in developing nations, if a family is completely reliant on their farm animals to survive, to earn, earn a livelihood, when a disaster happens, that is not only taking care of themselves and their children, it's a, a priority, but at the same time, they have to be able to watch for their livelihood for the long term if they're going to survive this disaster. So we can come in and help with the cattle. We can help with horses, goats, and chickens, and all these animals that, in many of the cases, they need in order to continue getting eggs every morning to get milk for their family to provide. That's interesting because the loss of a water buffalo and to a family in some areas would be the equivalent of uh, the loss of all the uh, agricultural equipment to a farm family in the United States. Our business front, exactly. It's really paramount to get in and help the people when they lose their livestock or are separated from it. Now, you, you know, one of the things that happened this autumn was, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit, is the, the uh, government of Nambia, I believe it was, selected the Dallas Safari Club to auction off a permit to kill a black rhinoceros. And for those in our audience who don't realize it, black rhinos are an endangered species, 
And you spoke up or your organization spoke up against this because the idea was to sell for at least 250000 up to maybe even a million dollars, the right or the permit rather, to shoot one of these rhinos. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Trophy hunting is an activity that Americans engage in and they engage in very heavily. Typically, it's wealthy Americans. A hunt to go kill a safari package in Africa is probably around $30,000. But this is obviously not something that middle class Americans would typically engage in. I don't know about you and your listeners, but I've never spent $30,000 on an activity for myself that didn't involve my entire family buying a car or, you know, dumping it on a house. But this is a thing that a lot of wealthy Americans will go and do. It involves killing animals. And in the case of the rhino, it's an endangered animal. I realize they try to link this to the idea that this will help the species overall conservation. I find that absolutely counterintuitive, and even the concept of it is somewhat repugnant. This is an endangered species. Having a bidding frenzy to kill off the last one is not going to help the species in the long run. What it's saying is that this animal is worth dead more than it is alive, and ultimately that it's putting another nail in this coffin. Even if it does in the end, do a little bit of short-term gain for conservation. Other nations that see this and say that Americans will come pay millions of dollars to kill a rare species is only going to continue to increase the frenzy to go out and kill other species. We've seen this happen before. Scarcity triggers some weird, <laughs> weird reaction in some people that makes them want to hoard and gather and get the last one. Um, it happened to tigers during their, when they thought tigers were going to go extinct decades ago. All of a sudden, there was a hunting frenzy. Everyone wanted to go kill the last tiger. And you could see this kind of mentality kicking in with the rhinos. And honestly, it's appalling. This is an incredible prehistoric-looking species. And going and killing one, even for a large amount of money that allegedly is going to be going toward conservation, is just wrong. I was wondering about your stand because, as you know, some critics do argue that stopping the auction won't save the life of the black rhino in question because Ambia has an annual quota to kill up to five of those a year. Is that right? Well, you know, different South African countries have different quotas for killing species. Typically, it's with a conflict animal. For example, if an elephant is coming and raiding crops, they might have an allocation of a certain amount of these species that can be killed by local people. And sometimes in some countries, they allow it to sell that permit or that quota to another just come in and soup kill them for a safari-type activity. But I think the real important point here, though, is the U.S. can't control what other countries do with their wildlife. We can control what Americans do. And what we can do is we can stop Americans from contributing to the decline of endangered species or ultimately pushing towards their extinction closer. With the case of African lions, it's a species that has declined over 50% in the last three decades. That's a just a breathtaking decline. And at the same time, Americans are going over there regularly to trophy hunt them. As a matter of fact, we're responsible for over 60% of all African lions that are killed for sport. So we can't stop Americans from going and doing some other people's lambs, but what we can stop them from doing is importing the trophies, bringing back the mounted trophies, and hopefully thereby creating a disincentive for them to go and kill the species. Also, there should be a shame factor um, associated with it, honestly. It shouldn't be a proud thing to go kill one of the last of the species that is slowly declining. Now, I will, you know, of course, trophy hunting is not the number one reason that African lions or rhinos or some of these other species are declining. There are lots of issues that are pulling at these species. There's habitat loss. There's conflict with local people. Climate change is causing many species to have to adapt or decline. And the problem, though, is that 
when you add other threats on top of it like this, like trophy hunting, which would be unsustainably in the case of African lions in particular, then you're just hastening their demise. Is that why it was important to get the African lion on the endangered species list to uh, stop the import of the uh, trophy after the animal is killed? Absolutely. What hopefully it'll mean, because this is a sizable market for the trophy that happened after lions, as I said, over 60%. Hopefully, if we're able to stop that, one, it'll send a message to the world that the species is highly imperiled, and we have to figure out how to save it from all the different threats it's facing. It'll stop the actual importing by Americans and hopefully stop that market and that demand, but also perhaps it'll cause the African countries that allow trophy hunting to look at their management practices has been directly linked to the decline of that species. Now, there are other factors that are helping us decline, but we can see when you take out all the other factors that trophy hunting is being unsustainable in many of these populations and that's, it's being sustained by Americans. That's amazing. You know, a couple of years ago, I wrote an article about Illinois being the um, provider of the most lion meat for restaurants in the United States. Now, again, with the writing of the Endangered Species Act for uh, lions, has that stopped that kind of trade? So the petition has not passed yet. Um, the government is still considering it. It was filed as in by petition. It's not a, a name signed petition, but actually a technical scientific trade data petition, like 70 pages of information about why the species needs to be protected. And the government's still considering that. They should make a decision in the next couple of months whether to list it as endangered. And if they do list it as endangered, then all consumption and use of the species in the U.S. will be banned, all commercial use. So there won't be any more lion burgers available after that. Okay. Now, if my listeners are concerned and, and want to voice their opinion, should they contact their local uh, congressional representative? For lions in particular, that's a decision that's being made by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So I'd recommend they go to IFA's website, www.ifaw.org. And once they go on, just do a search for African lion, and it'll lead you to a page to comment to the U.S. government. Um, they do take in comments on this, and actually it's been really incredible uh, foreign listings in the history. The highest amount of comments they've ever gotten from the public was about 70,000 comments. For this listing, they've gotten 375,000 comments. So it's just been incredible. People love lions, and they don't want to see them killed for export, and they don't want to hear that they're going in danger in the wild and that Americans contribute to that. So hopefully the U.S. government will make the decision to protect that species. That's a great thing to do. So anyone who's interested in this, and I'm sure many of our listeners are, if they want to uh, do as Jeff suggests and voice their opinion, it'll be a great help. But we need to take a break right now, and when we'll get back, Jeff will share with us one of the most important causes for the dwindling of the many animal species in Africa and elsewhere, and how IFA is fighting this horrific killer. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. 
In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Love My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter, available on iTunes. Jungle Deep, 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 Deep. When I talk about exotic animals, I am not talking about goats and salamanders. No. This is Dr. Jones of the Jungle Deep Podcast. On my show, we explore the jungle, searching for the most exotic, most endangered animals on Earth. If you love nature and her creatures like I do, listen to Jungle Deep. Jungle Deep, 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 Deep. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson. And just before our break, our guest, Jeffrey Flocken of the International Fund for Animal Welfare, was going to tell us about what IFA is doing about one of the most insidious and horrific causes of wildlife species decline. Jeff, in addition to the black rhinos, there are a myriad of species of animals at risk of disappearing. And poaching is unquestionably one of the most important causes for the dwindling population of animal species. Can you share with us uh, some insights of this and then specifically what you're doing in the, to help or stop the poaching of elephants in Cameroon? Absolutely. The illegal wildlife trade is booming. Some estimates say that it's worth over $20 billion a year only eclipsed by illegal trafficking in guns and drugs. It's shocking and brutal and horrific. I thought it's trying to help this situation as are many of the different wildlife conservation and animal protection groups. I'm looking at three different links on the chain for wildlife poaching. Uh, the first is trying to stop killing on the ground, trying to get more protection on the ground and better resources to rangers who are the front line in stopping this poaching in Africa. Um, the next is trying to stop the trafficking. Trying to, we, I saw partners with Interpol, which is an intergovernmental police force, trying to figure out these criminal networks and syndicates, finding ways to disrupt them and break the chain. And then finally, we're trying to stop the demand. The U.S. is the second largest consumer of wildlife products in the world, second only to China. We have offices in China and in the U.S. that are trying to get consumers, everyday people like myself and yourself and your listeners, to not buy animal products from species that are endangered. Um, the big issue right now is elephants. Elephants are being poached horrendously. You alluded to the slaughter that happened in Cameroon just a year past. Um, I saw it was there on the ground just after it happened. Um, obviously, it's a very dangerous place to be, uh, but we do have 
staff that trained locally in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and in that region who were able to go in and videograph and show what was happening. And it was, we were lucky enough that they got picked up on a global platform. The news is everywhere, and it really forced the local governments that were part of this that were seeing it happening to really try to address it. It's a threat that's going to keep happening, though. There is a lot of conflict in this region, clearly, and wildlife suffer as a result. Speaking of conflict, now, in my research, it's some of it has indicated that poaching has become a uh, source of revenue for some of the terrorist activities, and that has meant that the people who are trying to protect animals are even faced with tougher, um, better-armed poachers than historically has been the, the case. Is, is that true? Absolutely. It is a low-risk, high-revenue criminal activity. So it's going to draw out all the worst kind of criminals. And what we've seen is it has been used as a funding source for terrorist activities. It's being conducted by organized criminal syndicates. And we see destabilizing militias engaged heavily in poaching activities. And that makes it tougher on those right on the front line, the game wardens who are out there. They're armed, but they're probably not armed nearly as much as some of these large-scale poachers because it's, they're no longer, it used to be more uh, almost a local element, just perhaps trying to live on uh, some subsistence that they could pick up from the wildlife. But now it's changed to you know, people with automatic weapons and even worse. Is that true? Absolutely. And that's why it's a very, very hard battle to win. Again, though, you know, everyday people have a way to help control this by stopping the demand. We need to make ivory, which is the number one issue that most of this is engaged in at the moment, a shameful product. Here in the U.S., just in October, the Obama administration made a bold statement and crushed six tons of ivory that had been seized here in the U.S. It's all illegal ivory, and they crushed it in a huge mechanical crushing device, and there were government officials and foreign officials and celebrities and not-for-profit organizations all there to say this is the right thing to say that ivory has no value. And as soon as people in the U.S. and in Asia and in other countries stop consuming ivory, there won't be profit to be made. And that's going to be the way to save these animals, particularly now that you have those high-level criminals, these incredibly efficient and frightening organizations looking to ivory as a source of funding. We need to stop the demand now. Again, I'll go back to our listeners. If they want to become involved in reducing the demand or informing uh, their friends and colleagues, what could they do? Well, the U.S. government under the administration has taken the first step by crushing our store of illegal ivory to make a statement, but now they need to do something bolder. They need to have a ban on the sale of ivory here in the U.S. Right now, you can buy ivory in any you know, Chinatown, large urban area. It's openly for sale. It's very difficult to determine what came in illegally. It's impossible to know what came in illegally versus what came in illegally. So we just need a ban. We need to put in a moratorium, a period of like 10 years where nobody can buy or sell ivory. Now, that doesn't mean that you have your, your grandmother's ivory brooch that's an heirloom. You don't have to give it up. It's not illegal to hold it. But you just can't sell it until we know that elephants are safe in the wild. Because the laundered ivory, illegal ivory being killed, is being brought in and sold under the pretense of being legal because you can't tell the difference. So we need to give the elephants a chance to recover in a while for the species to be doing better and at the same time undermine these criminal activities and efforts that are going on. 
it's just a heartbreaking to to see you know such a magnificent animal killed for really what is just uh, for human vanity. Just uh, I don't know how much the average tusks weigh, but uh, they can't weigh very much in comparison to the the bulk of the mass of the total animal. It just uh, oh, you're right. really these are intelligent, gregarious, family-based animals being killed for worthless baubles. These are for jewelry, for canes for statutes, or items that nobody needs, luxury items. And it just has to stop. If we're going to really save this elephant, it needs, I'm a dirty word, like furs. People need to realize that ivory is not something to covet. It's a shame product. That's right. And again, I'd urge our listeners, if even to pass up so-called antique ivory, because it might be stuff that's been brought in under false pretenses. Just say no, no to ivory and no to furs, any kind. I guess sometimes even uh, false fur trim on clothing is really from, can be from cats and dogs from China. Is that true? It is true. We've seen that. You know, this is a, these are brutal markets, you know, that are horrific suffering taking place by millions of animals to sustain these markets. There are absolutely durable and warm alternatives that don't involve suffering for fur. And for ivory, there's just no need. That's a, it's a luxury item. Behind every piece of ivory is a dead elephant. Speaking of elephants, we've been talking about African elephants, but the scope of the work goes far beyond that. And uh, I understand you've worked on a project involving uh, elephants in India. Mm-hmm. IFAD does efforts on elephants in China and India. There are still wild elephants in both those populations, and we've supported projects of elephants in range countries in many areas of Asia as well. It's really a fantastic organization. I just gotta say, I wake up every morning happy that I work for IFA. We're helping animals around the world and at all levels. And like I said, we're doing the advocacy part, which is so important to reach decision makers and change policy, but also on the ground in Australia, going in and helping individual koalas and wombats after there's been a wildfire, or coming in the U.S. down in after there's been a flood or a tornado and helping livestock and domestic animals. There's no lack of things that can be done to help animals, so IFA's trying to be there to do what we can. Well, that's great. Hey, Jeff, I ask all of my guests this question because many times they're asked, with all the human misery and suffering in the world, how can you justify spending time, money, and resources advocating for animals? It's a great question. I would start by saying it's not either or. Actually, in my household, my uh, wife works for the Lupus Foundation of America helping on human health issues, and I work on the animal side. There are so many great causes out there, and animals, I just believe, is for me the one of the most important and one of the most passionate about. Animals are like children. They have no voice, so they need advocates. And the suffering that happens to them, for the most part, it's all happening at the hands of humans. So we're the ones who can turn it around and make a real difference by making smart consumer choices, by not supporting activities that cause animal suffering. And I'd like to be out there being a champion of it. And I think anyone who cares about animals will want to join me in that. Well, I think you're right. And speaking of that, where would I go if I wanted to volunteer or uh, make a donation or learn more about IFA? Um, If you go to our website, which is www.ifaw.org. And we have all information there about the different campaigns we work on and different ways to get involved and support. Okay, and can you give us that website again, just in case someone in our audience didn't get it? Sure, it's www.ifaw.org. 
Well, thank you, Jeff. And uh, Max A. Pooch thinks that you're one of the awesome animal advocates and your colleagues certainly are for the work you're doing in, in protecting and helping uh, animals around the world, as well as raising the understanding of just how our everyday consumer actions like purchasing something can really impact an animal population, particularly an endangered species. Jeff, Max A. Pooch and I thank you for being with us today and wish you good success in the upcoming new year for the work you and your colleagues are doing. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. We want to thank you, our listeners, for spending your valuable time with us. You're all fantastic, and we hope you tell your friends about Awesome Animal Advocates. And a special thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying... Thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Max A. Pooch gives them five big tail-wagging woofs. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.